have to leave the university and start over elsewhere. Jay ventured back to the office door. She was still at it. He sighed. If things dragged on for too long, he could always go in search of a snack machine. But since most of the English professors seemed to be on a health and fitness kick, he wasn't even sure that they had a snack machine, and if they did, it might offer such arcane items as wheat germ and carob candy bars. Long ago, he decided that the English department was about as alien as anything Robert Silverberg could come up with. Even after several years' association with one of their assistant professors, he didn't understand their tribal customs. Or their bulletin boards. Every now and then he would come in and read the notices while he was waiting for Marion, just to see if any literary culture had worn off on him. Apparently it hadn't. Warren writes better than Anne. Now what did that mean? Jay Omega turned to a pink-haired young woman in overalls who was pinning a literary lion's notice over the campus newspaper clipping announcing that Professor Byron Snipes had just been published in the avant-garde, which Marion said was pronounced mimeographed, literary magazine, The Maggot's Digest. Jay knew about the literary lions. They were a group of English instructors and other town writers who gave readings every Sunday afternoon in the New Age Cafe. Marion had dragged him there once when her office mate, Tony Richardson, was reading from her stream-of-consciousness novel about a Labrador retriever who thought it was Virginia Woolf. Every time the dog had to go into the water to retrieve a duck, there would be pages and pages of inner dialogue over whether or not it would get back out. Jay didn't understand it at all, but everyone else had told Tony that it was very experimental and definitely not accessible. Marion said that experimental meant writing in the present tense, and not accessible meant that they didn't understand it either. Jay Omega's opinion was not solicited. He was the only nationally published author in town, but since he had written a science fiction novel called Bimbos of the Death Sun, he was not invited to read with the mineral water and tofu crowd at the New Age Cafe. Not even for their four-dollar beans and rice fundraisers in support of El Salvador. Or was it against support in El Salvador? Anyway, Jay didn't remember any literary lions called Warren or Anne, so what was that about? Excuse me, he said, pointing to the hand-lettered graffiti. Could you tell me what that means? The pink lady glanced at the sign. Warren writes better than Anne. She nodded with a frosty smile. Beatty, of course, only they spell it differently. Seeing that he still looked blank, she explained kindly, Warren Beatty is Shirley MacLaine's little brother. Before he could explain that it was Anne he had never heard of, she had walked away with her sheaf of notices, and another student was tugging at his sleeve. Dr. Mega, I'm glad I ran into you. The tall red-headed guy with a Starfleet patch on his jacket looked familiar. What was that kid's name? Second row, first seat in engineering fundamentals. Jay managed a feeble grin, hoping he wasn't about to be asked for a reference. The young man set his books on top of the covered trash can and chattered on, happily unaware of his anonymity. 
When I was home on spring break, I tried to buy a copy of your book for my high school physics teacher, but our local bookstore said it wasn't on their order list. Dr. James Owens Mega, a.k.a. science fiction author J. Omega, heaved a mighty sigh of resignation. Did you look under G? No. Is that a new one? I wanted your first book, Bimbos of the Death Sun. I know. It's listed under G. For Galactic Wonders Number 2, Bimbos of the Death Sun. The first part is the series title. Alien Books lists all their titles that way. The first one in the series is Galactic Wonders Number 1, Betrayal at Byzantium by Susan Schwartz. She's not happy about it either, he finished silently. Several months earlier, when they found out about this nationwide blunder, Marion had remarked, This is the only book in history that requires a password in order to purchase it. The student was looking at him as if he were crazy. Under G, he repeated carefully. Uh, I've taken some marketing courses, Dr. Mega, and I have to tell you, that doesn't sound like a good idea. J. Omega nodded sadly. So my royalty statements would indicate. It seemed to J. Omega that he had the worst of both worlds, another reason that the English department made him uneasy. The way he figured it, an author could either go for respect in the literary world, critical reviews and prestigious journals, scholarly articles on one's works, small print runs at respected university presses, or he could write popular fiction and receive fan mail and big bucks. The lurid, bikini-clad girl on the cover of J. Omega's paperback original left no doubt in the English department as to which category his work fell into. They assumed that he was making a fortune and that it was easy money. Every time Marion talked him into attending a faculty party, one of her colleagues would sidle up to him, margarita in hand, and say, You know, maybe during spring break I'll dash off a science fiction novel. I could use the extra cash. Apparently, they didn't intend to be insulting. They all thought that he was rich and lazy. Jay suspected that if he admitted to them how hard he worked and how little he made— they would simply replace their envy with contempt, so he left well enough alone. The professorial misconception was that genre writing was easy and high-paying, and that anyone with scholarly training could do it in a matter of hours. Occasionally, one of them tried. J. Omega had been forced to read some of these dashed-off manuscripts, and he found them to be plodding exercises in obscurity. They sounded like dissertations. Finding excuses not to give out the name of his agent or his editor was beginning to require more creativity than his latest book. He was losing patience. Sooner or later, one of them was going to sneer at him once too often, and he was going to say, Look, if you really want a surefire scheme for cash from trash, forget genre fiction. Just write a long, convoluted novel in the present tense with no quotation marks and sell it to a university press. Get your friends to write reviews of it in the MLA Journal. Get tenure on your literary reputation. And then sit back for the rest of your life collecting a fat salary and teaching two classes a week. Marion would kill him. 
He decided that he'd better stop loitering in the halls of the English department before one of them accosted him with a new plot summary. Perhaps he could write Marion a note asking her to meet him at his office. Ah, Dr. Mega, I've been meaning to speak to you. Too late. J. Omega looked up, hoping that he wasn't about to be presented with another manuscript. To his relief, he saw Eric Giles, empty-handed, beckoning from the door of his office. Professor Giles taught 19th and early 20th century British literature, and as far as Jay knew, he wrote only for scholarly publications. I take it that Marion is busy, Giles was saying. Why don't you come in for a cup of coffee, and you can keep an eye on her door? He raised one eyebrow, or at least monitor the noise level. With a grin of considerable relief, J. Omega hurried into Professor Giles' shabby, book-strewn office. Compared to the engineering offices, it was a Victorian parlor. Marion once said that his office looked like the inside of a pinball machine. He removed a stack of papers from the Goodwill armchair and sat down. Despite the clutter, it was a comfortable room well-suited to Giles himself— it had the same air of old but still serviceable, and its genial mix of well-worn books and prints of English landscapes suggested an old-fashioned gentility indicative of an aging scholar. This, of course, was a carefully cultivated pose on the part of Eric Giles, and it served him very well. His Dickensian office, his rimless glasses, and his baggy cardigan sweaters tallied with everyone's expectations of a kindly but dull middle-aged professor of English. Few people bothered to look beneath the facade. Marion had found out the secret quite by accident on her way to her science fiction class to lecture on the history of the genre.